Hello and welcome to another episode of the Massage Matters podcast with me, Matt Scarsbrook, Anna-Maria Mazzieri and Becky DeMott-Horton. Together we are the Massage Collective and we are attempting to bridge the gap between evidence-informed practice and traditional hands-on manual therapies. Today we're taking a slightly different tact. We are uh, hosting Jack March, who is also known as Rheumatology.Physio, if you want to look him up on the internet, which I highly highly suggest that you do. Jack is a physio and he specialises in rheumatology, which is a range of conditions that we are likely to come across in the clinic um, reasonably regularly and it's up to us to either be able to identify the red flags associated with it and uh, refer on or to be able to support that client in their their treatment in the best way possible and being that we are by no means experts when it comes to this we thought we'd go to the expert no pressure jack So, without further ado, Jack, welcome. Thank you for coming and joining us today. Um, would you mind doing the classic and introducing yourself uh, and give us perhaps a little bit of background about uh, why rheumatology? Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. Um, it was a very lovely intro. Thing. I don't know if I'm the expert with a capital T, but um, I've, I like to portray myself as such. Within, within this metaphorical room, you are the expert. <laughs> Excellent. Um, yeah, so um, like you say, my name's Jack and I have specialised in rheumatology since about 2011. Um, and mostly, why rheumatology? Mostly because I find it fascinating and it's just about the only thing in the therapy I've found that I'm any good at. Um, so the, <laughs> it was sort of a path of least resistance situation. Um, and then over time, been lucky enough to be asked to speak at various events and uh, people seem to enjoy that so I moved into teaching as well which is probably um, the main role I do now is educating therapists uh, mostly physiotherapists admittedly and I do um, do lean into advanced practice more than anything else just because that seems to be where the interest is at the moment with first contact practitioners and stuff um, but um, certainly it's something that has grown over the last few years. Um, and like you say, my website um, and my courses have done reasonably well. Um, and then the rest of the time I spend doing um, podcasting, which is so I'm behind the microphone today being asked questions, which is nice. But I also sit the other side asking plenty of questions for Physio Matters podcast. I have my own podcast, rheumatology.physio podcast um, and various other things. And then creating the therapy live events as well um, with Physio Matters and choose media so that's great fun and then and then clinically i do some um, second opinion work with regards to uh, patients so your typical patient that would come and see me is seen maybe a physio in private practice and they are wondering whether they have an underlying rheumatology condition they send them to me and i provide my opinion on such um is is usually usually what i get up to so um yeah i have quite a varied role it's very interesting and um get to work with you guys which is always fun <laughs> I'm, yeah, not, well, I'm not sure fun's the right word Jack. <laughs> i think in eve, eve we've managed to age even you over the last year <laughs> yeah. so for anyone who's who's uh not yet aware obviously uh massage matters is part of the uh larger physio matters network and it does mean that behind the scenes uh jack is actually um a producer how, how do we how do we uh 
how do we phrase you so so jack is is instrumental in uh, making sure that we get our episodes out to you guys uh, on time because if it was left to the three of us it would be rather hit and miss i suspect so uh Okay, so let's let's start then. So we're not going to labour the point uh, around uh, red flags and things too much today. We want to really get into the meat of uh, what is it that um, us as soft tissue therapists and, and, and manual therapists can do to support clients. But for anyone who is who is unfamiliar with rheumatology, and you know, I'll throw myself into that bucket quite happily. Can you start off by giving us a little bit of a definition and then and then we might we'll go in and we'll we'll touch on those red flags just just so people sort of get a refresher. Yeah, so so rheumatology is a really broad specialty. Um it's it, um the British Society of Rheumatology reckon there's well over 200 disorders that would come under um the specialism of rheumatology and they vary from the very common like osteoarthritis osteoporosis to the very rare um odd types of muscle inflammation and uh, lung inflammation that has only been seen in the uk maybe once or twice ever so um there is there's some stuff that certainly us as physiotherapists massage therapy people who see mostly musculoskeletal conditions we just don't need to worry about um they either will are so rare we will never see them or um they don't aren't coming to our clinics um so we don't need to worry about them too much um but the sort of classic type of thing that people would think of under rheumatology would be rheumatoid arthritis or ankylosing spondylitis lupus is another one that people are usually well aware of um and these conditions usually i say usually um they're not always but usually are autoimmune in nature which means that the problems are caused by your own immune system um so other examples of that would be type 1 diabetes multiple sclerosis for example um so what basically happens is there's a fault for want of a better term in your um in your immune system and it instead of only reacting against things that aren't you so viruses um splinters if they get into your skin bacteria etc um instead of reacting only against those they start reacting against your body's own tissues um and then that's what causes the problems moving from there so they're really fascinating and um what i find interesting is there you can never learn enough so as soon as it's like an onion as soon as you peel away one layer of you think oh i understand that then you realize actually it's infinitely complex underneath that layer and um then your brain falls out of your ears so that's really fun um and and it's become sort of my niche that i i live in and people seem to come to me for questions and uh, things like that so it, it there's a bit of an ego boost with it as well for me i think <laughs> it's quite fun uh, to be that guy um but it's um it, it's one of those things where the conditions themselves are relatively rare. So ignoring osteoporosis and osteoarthritis for a minute, they are relatively rare. So if you look at rheumatoid arthritis, you're looking about maybe just over 1% of the population will be diagnosed with, with rheumatoid arthritis over their lifetime. Um, but if you combine all of them together, uh, all of the conditions added together, you're looking maybe around 3 or 4% of the whole population um, at any one time is diagnosed with a rheumatology condition uh, so as you said they, they are going to come into our clinics we are going to see them um, and really there is a big distinction between those that are undiagnosed and those that are diagnosed. Jack is um, fibromyalgia under rheumatology? Uh, fibromyalgia gets under rheumatology a lot because of its nature so widespread pain multiple joint pains mm. um, 
other associated symptoms like fatigue, etc. Um, but it isn't a rheumatology condition because it's as far as we can work out, it's not inflammatory in nature. So it's not related to the immune system. Um, as far as I can work out from the latest research, it might be neuro oh, mm, neurological is the wrong word. It might be related to the nerve tissues, um, but it, I've moved away from trying to understand it to a degree because it's like I say, it's not inflammatory. Yes, it's multifactorial. Uh, yeah, for yeah. Sure. I usually get diagnosed by a rheumatology consultant, isn't it? Um, it often is, again, yeah, because they often, often get yeah. referred into rheumatology. Um, in all honesty, I don't think fibromyalgia patients outside of a few specific um, reasons need to be under rheumatology at all. Um, it can be managed in primary care under the GP and and. Um, uh, diagnosed under the GP um, but some patients obviously need rheumatology conditions ruling out um, so then that would be appropriate for the rheumatologist. So I'm interested Jack in that you make that distinction between there's quite a difference from somebody who is diagnosed and being managed with their rheumatological condition to an undiagnosed person how you might not know this but how how long does it often take for somebody to reach that diagnosis is it often is it common for somebody to go on for a while with a, a rheumatological condition without a diagnosis? Yeah, it does vary between the conditions. Um, so rheumatoid arthritis, for example, is pretty well recognised now. The delay to diagnosis with that is is not so high, um, mostly because of a lot of work around working with GPs and physios and things um, and other healthcare professionals to get the signs and symptoms out so they're recognized um, and also I think patients as well are more aware of rheumatoid arthritis um, and the familial links so genetic links are more obvious in rheumatoid arthritis so a lot more likely to have your your mum is more likely to have had rheumatoid arthritis so you already know when your fingers swell up that that might be what it is so we don't that's not so much but then when you look at more complex conditions like um, the inflammatory spinal problems like ankylosing spondylitis um, is one type then uh, we do get big delays to diagnosis so um, in men for example it's approximately six and a half years and wow. uh, women eight and a half years that's the average wow um, so it's that's a big problem and that's not improved over the last 10 15 20 years either that's still the same as it was 20 years ago we're not getting better which is rubbish um, lupus is another big problem um be that anywhere between two to 20 years depending on where you look wow. uh, for lupus um as well but again because a lot because of its complexity and it's a difficult thing to diagnose um so yeah there are some big delays to diagnosis and in all honesty i think the audience that we're speaking to with massage therapists um i don't want people to feel like it's their responsibility to be picking these patients up yeah um you know i like i said at the beginning i speak to a lot of um advanced practice so first contact physios um extended scope physios etc um and these are complex mus well they're not musculoskeletal diseases they masquerade as musculoskeletal diseases so um you know it's it's something that i think massage therapists need to be aware of some signs and symptoms um, but they shouldn't feel like it's um, it's definitely their responsibility to be assessing people for these in depth. Um, but if someone turns up with some specific stuff, then they need to recognise that. Really. No, yes, certainly. Uh, but it's really, really important that when because they come to us when people have pain, usually we are the first port of call, and that's where we can pick up those 
signs, the, 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 the clinical picture that might make us think, do you know what? This client is not improving. There are few of those uh, signs that might indicate let's refer. And I think sometimes it's our, at our level that they're not referred quick enough. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's where mm-hmm. the problem is. But I agree with you. I, I, I agree to the fact that it's not really our responsibility, but we need to keep our threshold referral rather low so that we allow them to eliminate, we allow the GP or else to eliminate an inflammatory source of the pain. Yeah, for sure. And there is, if you look at into the, we're going to get into real weeds here, but um, in some of those people in the inflammatory back area, um, they see on average around eight clinicians before they're diagnosed. Well, so you know, this this is what I mean about I don't want massage therapists to think that they're part of the problem because everybody is the part of the problem. Um, It is, you know. Um, including extended scope physio spinal assessment clinics, those people that are supposed to be highly specialist. Yes, still if people will work, if people will work more with more in, uh, multidisciplinary, I bet uh, this is was not going to happen. If <laughs> we, yes, I mean, if we would be able to have a a, a good open pathway of multidisciplinary communicating system. I bet that those those years would be reduced. Those years before uh, assess before diagnosis would be reduced. Oh, sorry, Becky. I'm, I'm I'm going to jump in very very quickly. I've got a couple of questions that I don't want to let slip until they're totally irrelevant. Uh, although we might already be there because we've uh, we, we've started to dive into some really interesting detail. But just for clarity, then, do all autoimmune diseases come under the heading of rheumatology? No. no. Are all rheumatological diseases autoimmune? No. Okay. <laughs> no, no, it's really, it's just, I, uh, this is useful definitions for me. The problem is what, you, what, what we're doing, in, in, and I say this a lot, and I want to just put this out here right now. So the problem is, is when you look at an individual, they're an individual, right? When you talk about medicine, what we're trying to do is we lump a lot of people, a lot of individuals into groups, right? Because it, it enables us to be better for treatment um, and research, right? But the problem is each human is completely unique. So if let's say all four of us developed rheumatoid arthritis, not one of us would have the same symptoms, the same um uh, same sort of um, process of of developing symptoms and so what we'd all have get it at different ages we'd all get different joints affected etc etc so the problem is is if you go is everything autoimmune then you go well actually you you name a condition in or, or a medical problem in the in the whole sphere of medicine that does not involve the immune system there aren't any right so the problem is 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 i say no that's incorrect but that's because i'm trying to go you know from our our understanding of an autoimmune condition where are we putting that on on the um, on that as a definition so you, you know like i said osteoporosis for example is not an autoimmune condition but bone turnover is related to inflammation so technically there are some autoimmune issues with it so it, it's too complex to, to, to well, really... Also, yeah, there's also obviously a distinction between inflammation and autoimmune Correct. inflammation. So, okay, so then the other one, which I think is is um, probably more, 
relevant to us as uh, certainly in in the um, soft tissue therapy area where you're looking at rehabilitation as well. So I actually didn't realize that OA, so osteoarthritis, comes under rheumatology. In my head, um, OA is distinctly separate from RA, rheumatoid arthritis, and can be uh, treated quite differently. And I think one of the things we're going to come on to a little bit later is is uh, sort of uh, posing the question um, when we're working with someone with rheumatology um, conditions, are we helping them manage or are we actually helping them rehab? Are they getting better or are we trying to remain at least not getting worse? Um, and so for me, it's really interesting that you actually put uh, OA in and under rheumatology because I would treat OA as, you know, if someone came in diagnosed with OA, I treat that as, right, I, I can actually help there through my rehabilitation side of things to at least prevent it from getting worse or at least that's what we're targeting um so uh so i just wanted to make that point early on and, and i want to come back to that then so becky sorry you were going to jump in with something no i was gonna say, so um I, i'm really glad you said that jack about it's not massage therapists responsibility to although the fault isn't necessarily with massage therapists and, and we can't be expected to pick these um really complex um, conditions out because I think that's really important to say to therapists but what we do and speaking to Anna's point have a real responsibility to do is to know when something is outside our scope of practice and actually when we need to refer someone so do you want to just as Matt says we don't want to labor it too much but very briefly um, if you put yourself in the shoes of a of, of a soft tissue therapist if somebody walked in your door um, what would ring alarm bells for you that you'd want them to go and see their GP? Yeah, I'm going to caveat that with this with I teach for an entire day on this subject. So yeah, this I get, really get <laughs> So um, the things that I think you people really need to really be aware of is um, what inflammation looks like. So it always surprises me to a degree when I ask this question that people are unaware of what inflammation looks like, because I would challenge most people to, to have never been injured, at least they they will have hurt themselves. And the same process occurs. So if you think about what would happen if you sprained your ankle, it would probably get swollen up, it would probably be red, it would probably be painful. Um, and it would probably be a quite hot, right. So if you see someone whose joint looks like that, or, or anywhere, really, because you can get it in the soft tissues as well. If that's what it looks like, then you need to be wondering why that happens. So if there's a clear mechanism of onset, so they sprained their ankle, because they rolled over on it, fine and that was a few days ago absolutely fine if they go oh no it just happened and i can't think of anything that did that that's when you need to go okay that's tweaked something in my mind um so that would be the first thing then the second thing would be to do with spines really so uh, spines don't swell go red or hot or anything like that so what you're looking at is okay what symptoms of this is this person coming in with much like i'm I, i'm sure that you would say if someone's got real raging leg pain associated with their back pain or pins and needles, numbness, that kind of thing. So um, it's a little bit more difficult with these conditions, which is why they get missed a lot. But uh, we're looking for symptoms that are much worse in the early morning. Um, so people waking up and their symptoms being worse for at least 30 minutes in the morning. Um, associated spinal stiffness. So if they're reporting that they're very, very stiff in their spine with a reduced range of motion, that's another indicator. Um, a significant improvement with anti-inflammatories um, is another one. Um, a better with activity and not improved by rest. 
So hopefully the listeners will appreciate that that's the opposite to what you would normally see um, with uh, injuries, let's say. You you know, to go back to my sprained ankle uh, analogy, it would be very rare to sprain your ankle and then it'd be better walking around and not better when you raise it up on the sofa. Like this just doesn't happen. Um, And also waking in the night. Um, with the pain, with the, with the specific symptoms that they're getting. So those things can give you quite a good indicator with regards to spines. Um, and then, like I say, we could, we could I, I do, talk all day about it. Um, so, yeah, there's there's quite a lot more nuance to that. But again, it's like we said, I, it's hard to say where, where does massage, where do massage therapists uh, roll in that? Because, you know, I would say to people, you know, if you don't know the nuance of how it's how it's presenting, then you're going to miss quite a lot of them. But then massage therapists aren't working in spinal assessment clinics in this advanced role. So it's, that's not their job. It's out, that's, um, I think it was Anna said, it's outside of your scope. But the, those but more barn door cases, I think, is, is where we can make a big difference. And do you want to just touch on why it is so important that people get an early diagnosis with rheumatological conditions? Yeah, the um, so delay to diagnosis in the rheumatology conditions is basically linked to a worse outcome in pretty much any measure you can think of. Um, so you name a measure, it's worse if you wait for the diagnosis. So pain levels, medication use, imaging, work status, depression, obesity, activity, you name it, um, it's worse. So it is very important. I think the thing to remember, uh, especially for this audience, is that if people's... Um, symptoms are more subtle so you're more likely to miss them for obvious reasons that indicates that their disease is likely not to be so severe so okay. like i say it's those really obvious ones obvious that's not the right word is it but the really the really um uh ones which are, have a lot of swelling a lot of redness a lot of heat that kind of thing they are going to have worse disease so they definitely need to be treated earlier um whereas the more subtle ones I hesitate to say you can get away with it, um, but it, it, you know, that is the truth. Really, is they're le- they're more likely to have a less severe disease. And then, is that um, improvement in outcome with early diagnosis? I assume that's down to the efficacy of of treatments that we have now for these conditions. And do you want to just talk about that as well? Because yeah. I know a lot of people sometimes they can be quite aggressive treatments. So if um if we sometimes have a client that's come to us with a diagnosis and they're they're worried about the the treatment it it would be kind of nice for massage therapists to maybe know a bit about just how effective Mm. that can be yeah so we're looking these days uh take rheumatoid arthritis for as the example um you're looking at getting about a third of patients into remission now um so it's not it's technically not a curable disease but the but sustained remission is possible um and that is like you say they really hit them hard with medications and it's it's a difficult thing when you first get diagnosed really because a lot of the medications are scary so some of them are um have been used in the past for to treat cancer for example um and you get a lot of steroids the doses are very high um but the idea is to as I said, get the get the inflammation down as quickly as possible because that makes it more likely to go into remission. So you really hit it with everything to try and bring it down. It's far easier once it's down to keep it down. Um, so medication really, I mean, I, it, it's easiest to say every patient is going to require quite significant medications, at least in the beginning. Uh, it 
it's probably a slight issue. It, I'd go 99.8% are going to need that. Uh, there is there is always the outlier in medicine that doesn't, but um, it's, you know, there's no way any of us, I, me particularly um, as well, would say that to anybody that they're not going to need medication. It might well happen, but it's so rare that it's, you know, it's difficult to say that. Um, so medication is is absolutely vital. Um, and it's one of those things where the benefits do outweigh the um, the potential side effects. Um, and what I often say to patients is that the side effects in the short term, um, they might not be very nice, but actually we're looking at managing the symptoms so that their function is retained for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. These patients that are coming with rheumatoid arthritis and ankylosing spondylitis, they're young. You know, it's young people's disease. They're in their 20s, their 30s. We're hoping they're going to live to 90 plus, et cetera. And, um, you know, they're going to have to live with it for a very long time. So you want to get those symptoms right down, really. Um, and then other things are pretty effective. Um, so exercise is pretty good. Um, generally being healthy is pretty good. Um, all those sorts of things that normal stuff that we would give to say to any client, not smoking particularly is very good. Um, Jack, am I right to think that uh, within musculoskeletal, am I right to, to think that uh, quicker we keep the inflammation down and less damage to the to the joint especially a spinal level with spondyloarthritis i can never get the name spondyloarth okay yes spa yeah <laughs> <laughs> she was waiting for you to jump in and correct her and you oh, were not yes i was yes. i mean let you flounder yeah yeah um uh that that okay that's it now you stop me completely so am i right to think that um, quicker uh we get the inflammation down and less damage to the joint uh, especially spinal level is going to happen yes essentially yeah i mean some people regardless of what you do to them they will go on to develop those changes those joint changes um and other people if you just leave them regardless they won't develop those like i said everybody's individual okay. it does vary oh. um but yeah you you in general you would say yeah get the inflammation down and you're much less likely to get structural changes mm. okay so so it's probably a good point then to move on to what what we really wanted to get stuck into uh, uh today which is so let's assume that um Let's assume for simplicity that our client has now been diagnosed with a with a, a rheumatological uh, condition. Um, and I mean, you can choose, uh, I suppose, to lead us through where they might be at any point within their, their treatment. So it'd be useful to understand what's going to happen in those really early weeks when they're starting to be uh, provided, as you say, quite high levels of medication. And then particularly when someone is uh, given how high proportion you say are moving into remission or at least getting that that kind of level that'd be really interesting so what we really want to pick your brains on is as um massage therapists as soft tissue therapists is what can we be doing to uh support that client throughout their journey what are they likely to be experiencing so that we can kind of be prepared to, to help them and explain perhaps what you know what's going on during a flare-up etc that's a yeah, difficult question, actually. Um, so let's make it simple to begin with. So let's say um, let's say the patient has no symptoms um, and they're coming with some other issue. So let's say they've got rheumatoid arthritis. They're coming because they've 
they've lifted something up and their back hurts. You wouldn't, you don't need to treat that patient any differently to you would someone without rheumatoid arthritis and do whatever you would normally do. Um, so there's that. Then if you take a patient who is, um, who's on treatment, uh, but still retains some symptoms, then again, I would, depending on what their symptoms are, I would treat them as you would any other patient who presents with similar symptoms. So, um, Let's take our ankle sprain analogy, for example. If you had a patient in your clinic with an ankle sprain and it was a bit red, a bit hot, a bit swollen, and you were to do whatever treatment it is you deem appropriate to do, that treatment is equally appropriate with the rheumatoid arthritic ankle that would look pretty much the same if you just took a photo of it, for example. Uh, you'd do the same same sort of thing. So if you think that that would help with a with um, an ankle sprain, it would you would think equally it's likely to help with that rheumatoid arthritic ankle. Um, no positives, negatives that I can particularly suggest. You know, I'm not going to, I couldn't sit here and say, if we've got a swollen rheumatoid arthritic joint and you apply massage to it, there are no overt benefits or negatives to that on a general scale. I'm going to real sit on the fence here. Um, you know, much the same as you would with that ankle sprain, Sometimes you would do your treatment and that patient would get better. Sometimes you would do that treatment. They might be a little bit worse for a while and then return to where they were before. That's going to be the same with that rheumatoid arthritic joint. Jack, <clears throat> sorry, can, can I go back a little bit from that? Mm -hmm. What are the, how do rheumatological conditions impact usually the person's daily life in a musculoskeletal perspective. So why those people will come to us? What um, might they be feeling? What might, yes, what, what, how is the function affected, or the pain affected? Yeah, so it, usually it's, um, usually it's pain um, that people will be concerned about. That's usually why people attend therapists. Um, but sometimes it's, um, a reduced range of motion through stiffness and swelling um, or reduced strength because they've not been able to use their joints appropriately for a while or reduced fitness. Um, pretty much the same as you would get anybody else attending clinic, really. Um, they just tend to present with slightly different um, sets of symptoms. So like I said, they tend to be worse in the mornings, tend to be better with activity and worse with rest, that kind of thing. So usually you would, again, if you take my ankle example, they probably be attending with roughly the same, um, issues as you would with the sprained ankle. Um, the difference is going to be the longevity of it and the fact that there was no, um, mechanism of onset really. So it's probably swollen. It's probably stiff. It's probably painful. Um, and they want it to be less painful, stiff, and want to be able to use it better. Um, so this is why I, you know, I go to the this, treat them roughly how you would treat the, so take the symptoms as they are and treat those um, as you deem appropriate, it, rather than thinking about necessarily the underlying mechanism, because really, if you go onto a biochemical level, they're fairly different um unless you go really deep um and you know i can talk to that if you wish but it's going to be it's probably as well outside of the scope of today but um it what i often say to people on my courses is from a clinical point of view there's barely any difference 
so they look red they look hot they look swollen they look pay they're painful much the same as any other injured joint would look like so treat them as such the thing with rheumatoid arthritic joints is that you know with an ankle sprain it's going to get better regardless um people don't have ankle sprains for t for five years now they get associated problems but you don't have that initial swelling pain redness for five, but rheumatoid arthritic will or can um so there's a longevity difference um and i think that certainly with soft tissue therapists and massage therapists you have to be honest with the patient and you have to be honest with yourself that if after i mean i'd say one but I, give it two treatments if it's not making any difference it isn't going to um it's not like you know it's not like um oh let's leave it three weeks and come back and try again that it's there's no point you've you know you're you're kidding everybody if you think that that's that's what's happening so there is some difference there um and you know personally i would say one because i think that the the differences between techniques are not sufficient in my in my head to say you're going to make a big difference with one versus another but having said that I don't do any soft tissue because I do almost everything um, virtually and it's way outside of my skill set. Um, but so it might be that actually adapting the uh, the force or the amount or the um, uh, the location might change the outcome. So let's say you, you did let's say you did 20 minutes um, or week one and they went, actually, that was really painful afterwards. But I might have got a little bit of benefit. Then next time I would go, actually, if you did 10 minutes and they got that bit of benefit, but they didn't weren't significantly worse, that's an appropriate change. If that makes sense as a distinction. But in all honesty, if it, at that second session, if you've changed something, and it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't matter what you keep changing. It's not going to. I think we need to understand these conditions. We therapists are not having an impact on the underlying condition um with symptoms maybe underlying condition absolutely not we're not making that better or worse but once they've been diagnosed and they're under treatment for the underlying condition or management as you say because there is no cure then don't you think is there any don't you think is there benefit for us to be able to manage one of the biggest uh, symptoms, which is pain, anything modulates pain. And we know that massage and hands-on can modulate pain in a positive way. Even if we modulate pain in a positive way only for a temporary time, that is a respite mm. that we, we give those people. Because I wonder, um, some of the symptoms are might be because of their... Uh, kinesophobia because of their uh, um, fear they know that they have this rheumatoid arthritis or any other condition and they are fearful of moving because of that so some of the some of the symptoms might actually be due to that so I wonder how you know even if it is temporary certainly it must be beneficial yeah I agree with you to a degree so um, it depends what you're using as your outcome measure Yes. Um, so, it, it, yeah, it, it, a different conversation if you're using kinesiophobia or what or some other measure. I think what we need to be careful of is if you're using pain, swelling, redness, heat as your outcome measure. So someone comes in, they go, I want my 
pain to go down and you're providing some relief, but it, let's say it's lasting 48 hours, I, that's not a, it, it's not sufficient in my eyes to keep seeking that treatment. So the, um, because it's not affecting the underlying process, the, and, and you have to think, you have to think about the, um, so you might get 48 hours of improvement, right? But what's the cost to the patient for that 48 hours? And if, if they've got, let's, let's take a patient who has unlimited resources, unlimited time, and they're keen to get that 48 hours of, of relief, fine. All bets are off. Do you go for that? But in in patients who you know they it they have to take time off work or it's costing them money or something like that. Forty eight hours in these conditions is is not sufficient. It's not because they're going to have to come over and over and over again, and it's not going to change. Oh, correct, it. Jack. But this is only true if uh, you are using one intervention. So if you're judging the the approach only by the that that one intervention, so if that 48 uh, hours of pain free, it's accompanied with the advice of gradual exposure, the advice of movement, the advice of do your meaningful activity, go back to your meaningful activities. That I think to me has great value. So we need to be careful to not to. Um, become reductionist or just on the manual intervention when we talk about intervention we talk about a a, a comprehensive approach I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna jump in and and very weirdly i'm gonna side with jack on this one i mean that that literally never happens but i i think i think what you're speaking about anna and this is my interpretation and jack feel free to tell me i'm talking complete rubbish but with with our other if we were talking about a, a truly musculoskeletal chronic pain condition, I would be 100% with you, Anna. My, my feeling is where Jack's coming from, and I don't mean to put words into your mouth, Jack, but is that we understand with a chronic pain condition that there is no, in inverted commas, injury, and that it is a sensitization of the tissues or a sensitization of the nervous system to uh, experience pain. Whereas I think with, with something like rheumatology, because there is an underlying inflammation, there is an underlying issue in a sense, what we're saying is there is an injury. That injury is continuing at all times, regardless of what we do. And so we may be able to multimodally improve uh, or, or, or advise the client on improving their their activity, on improving their mental health, on improving short-term pain relief. But actually, we're still at that point combating an active injury that is only continuing and doesn't have the same natural history as a true soft tissue injury. Uh, for sure, but that's why you only, you only approach management uh, only when... Uh they've already been seen and they're already under. So we're talking about management, not treatment. So if the client says, you know, actually the, the 48 hours allows me to be able to go for my walk uh, or to be able to play with my grandchildren and I put the great value on them, my 48 hours of pain-free and better movement, I think there is great value there. 
yeah, and I'm not saying there isn't great value in that. I think what you have to you have to offset what what is what are they gaining out of it versus what is their the cost to them, and you know, as with the greatest will in the world, with almost all of the audience are going to be in private practice, aren't they? And patients yes. going to have to pay for this. So there is that, and and I used forty eight hours as a real arbitrary um, a number, and I would suspect that with massage therapies any physical therapies really and even to a degree exercises um that actually you're going to be looking at way less than that so i would be i'd I'd struggle to think of patients who i've seen in the past who have symptoms still who are going to be even having benefit the next day uh after you've done it so um and i used 48 hours because that's a good benchmark for a, a conversation about it benefit versus reward if it's the next day then it's you know and that's what i suspect a lot of patients are gonna are gonna have um as a response so the the difficulty becomes in in when let's say you do your your intervention anna and then that allows the patient to then do some sort of rehab exercise program on top that's a different argument as well but then then are they going to be able to do that or, or receive that enough times in a week for example for that rehab process to to so that's to what we need to off. yeah that's what we need to be clear our intervention is not only massage our, our, no, our and, treatment and, is enc- the encounter and in all honesty i think if you had a rheumatology patient and you only provided them with massage yes. then they should not be in in your in your clinic and it, it's but having said that there are patients who are well off enough who go who and I suspect some of you guys have them who go oh I don't care what it costs I like it and 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 this is where it's slightly different to the whole exercise on the on the flip side whole exercise conversation in that exercise takes a long time to actually create any difference whereas with massage you doesn't take any time but then your extended difference out on the or longer term then is going to be much and i and i apologize if i'm using massage as a proxy for no, no, no. soft yeah. tissue um, interventions so whatever it is i just want yeah i just wanted to clarify that it's more than what we do with our hands it's only one part of the intervention oh, yeah. which is reassurance um this talking to the client active listening and uh, rehabilitation advice so and i think but i think on the flip side of that it's important to mention that we shouldn't it shouldn't be okay for people to use their hands as an excuse to have patients in the clinic to provide those uh, interventions you just mentioned so actually a lot of these patients if you, so where i'm trying to get to is if your hands-on technique is not providing benefit over an extended period then actually a, a soft tissue therapist is not where they need to be there's going to be more appropriate therapists uh, however having said that there's a caveat that actually if they've got a great rapport with you then they're more likely to take on board the advice so it, it, everybody's an individual it's a very difficult conversation to sort of to really narrow down I agree. I agree. Um, and I think as long as it, it people therapists are not telling their patients or not assuming that they're creating any difference to the underlying process in either a positive or a negative because you have to you have to say that really that if you're not creating a negative 
uh, you're not going to be great. You just you can't create positive either because it works both ways. Um, that they're not, you know, if you said if you said to someone, "I'm going to do this," it will reduce the inflammation. That's not that's incorrect, right? Yeah. Um, as you said, Anna, it's, it might reduce pain, it might reduce swelling, it might reduce heat even, but it won't reduce inflammation itself. Um, and this is where I get, we get into problems in more advanced clinics is when patients think that that's actually happening because we need them to understand that that's not the case. Because when you start to educate them about other things, you know, you if you're if you're saying to them this massage will rec- reduce inflammation. And then on the flip side, you're saying this smoking will increase inflammation. Those two things butt up against each other. They don't, because there is no, um, there is no biological reason for massage to decrease inflammation. If anything, it would increase it, but it doesn't. So if it doesn't increase inflammation, there is absolutely no way it will decrease it. Um, so I think that's a really important distinction for us to make here um, as to what is actually happening at the tissue level. And uh, was it you, Matt, I think, texted me six months ago or something, and someone had said that they'd been told on a course that you push the inflammation around the body or or something like that. That's the other thing I want to reassure people is that's not happening. Yeah, so so I think uh, it might be um, a good a good point, and I want to come back in in a moment to to discuss um, rehab versus management uh, from from a from an, uh, an exercise perspective, from a clinic perspective. But I think it's probably a good point to just just reiterate then. So what what do you see as a contraindication as opposed to a red flag? Do you see do you see that? So, so if we if we go back to your ankle uh, analogy or ankle analogy, ankle example from earlier, then there was um, no reason why in, in that particularly in that first presentation, there's no reason why you would be concerned about the use of say massage uh, in and around the area if we would clinically reason that that's appropriate based on it being a sprained ankle. We're not going to make the rheumatoid arthritis any worse. Uh, and and exactly as you you sort of touch on there, there's 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 nothing to the inflammation per se and the location of the inflammation that's going to be affected by massage. So what do you see as a contraindication to let's use the proxy massage when it comes to a rheumatology uh, presentation? The only contraindication really is that it's undiagnosed, um, and and the reason for it being a contraindication is because. Um, and this would apply to me as well, is that we can't decide definitely what's causing the symptoms. So, um, you know, unfortunately, there are times in rheumatology when you think that person's got rheumatoid arthritis. It turns out they have cancer or they have some obscure fracture or some other significant infection, for example, um, can happen, constitutional infections. And though that's where the contraindication lies, is treating those would be very, very bad, uh, or attempting to treat those would be very, very bad. The real the real issue here is preventing them from getting care that they should get instead, uh, or more effective care, I should say. So it really, if you've got, if you've got a, um, uh, a, a a swollen inflamed joint and you are for whatever reason absolutely convinced it's rheumatoid arthritis and definitely not something else technically you could treat that even though it's undiagnosed because you're not going to make it worse but the 
the caveat to that is, you know, I don't know, you don't know, as therapists, we don't know that that isn't something else that's really problematic. Um, and that's where you're going to get into hot water. So um, there's there's that really is the, is the main distinction. Um, but, you know, as, as we said earlier, the patient comes in to see you and they're undiagnosed. Six weeks later, they might come back diagnosed with exactly the same symptoms. That's you can treat them at that point because they've been diagnosed. Symptoms are exactly the same. So this is where it gets really hard and really difficult is there is, you know, if you knew it was rheumatoid arthritis at week one, crack on. If you, but the trouble is you don't. Uh, and that's where the real difficulty difficulty arises. The only difference to that is in the spine because of the um, the affinity with these rheumatology conditions and osteoporosis. Um, so again, uh, let's let's remove our proxy for a second. Soft tissue massage fine, mobilizations of the joints not fine. That's what we wanted. That's that's fair. Um, so I you know. And I don't use a distinction here between what would be a relatively gentle mobilization and a high volume manipulation. Um, I, I don't because I, I don't think you can draw a line between what is an appropriate force and what is the inappropriate force at that point. So as long as you are going soft tissue, that's absolutely fine. But anything that mobilizes the joints of the spine in a rheumatoid in a rheumatology patient, I would be really unhappy with that. Um, really unhappy with that that's good i think you make a really good point jack about the he does that. Of, have, you, have you noticed yeah i've said that quite a lot today um these are people at the end of the day aren't they and i think a lot of therapists when we've spoken to therapists see um anybody with any rheumatological condition as contraindicated um which is a real shame because actually these people still fall over and sprain their ankles they still you know have all the normal things that we see in clinic and actually there's no necessarily any reason to treat them differently as you say if if they're diagnosed and they're controlled in terms of their their rheumatology and also they are sometimes people who just enjoy massage and you know if that forms part of their overall well-being as it might with any of us then as long as we're um aware of their condition and we are maybe careful around their flare-ups then you know there's no reason really to see them as any different as long as like you say we're not giving them this false narrative that we're gonna move their inflammation away from their ankle or or cure them or or, or anything like that so I think that's a, a really good thing for therapists to to hear that you know, <laughs> you're not going to do any damage to somebody just because they have an underlying rheumatological condition. Exactly. And it is. It, and again, that's an important distinction between what are you what are you thinking you're achieving? What is the patient thinking you're achieving? If they're coming in because they like having a massage. Carry on. What am I? I'm not going to bring up bloody uh, bannertines, am I? And go stop <laughs> massaging rheumatology patients It's ridiculous. So if they're coming in because they like having a massage, fine, as long as they're not believing that you are altering the underlying disease process, which in all honesty, patients that I've ever met, they don't think that unless they're no. told. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. they, now, they sometimes you get some weird uh, beliefs and, and understandings, and I would gently challenge those if someone says something bizarre. But I think it's more important that you're not sowing that seed. Uh, because as we said, the last 
the absolute last thing you want to happen is someone goes, actually, I'm going to reduce my drugs because I, with the massage, yeah, gosh, yeah. I'll replace yeah. it with massage. And, and that is a, that is a shocking situation for us to get into. We absolutely don't want to be doing that. And I know from the the um, clients I have that have rheumatological conditions, they actually tend to be a population who are very well informed about their condition. You know, when they've had obviously their diagnosis, they're they're extremely well informed about their condition and actually just put together their own kind of general way of looking after themselves and managing and maybe they want massage to be part of that just because it is a pleasant experience for them when they might suffer some pain in their day-to-day life okay then so i I think probably uh, a third time lucky i'm going to pick up on this on this rehab uh, versus management thing within the clinic um and 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 touch on OA, I suppose, in in that capacity. As I mentioned earlier, for me, if if someone comes in and they've been diagnosed with OA, I see that as an opportunity to help rehabilitate them. That might not be return them to uh, their their joint to original, but certainly we can get a huge amount of function back again through the kind of uh, strengthening work, perhaps um, so, uh, assisted by some pain relief through 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 massage, etc. Um, but that's specific for OA. And like I said before, I didn't realize OA actually came under the rheumatology uh, banner. So for the for other conditions such as rheumatoid arthritis, um, is there a place for rehab or is it actually just a management program? Oh, absolutely. 100 percent place for rehab. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that, which we probably don't have time to go into today. But um, there's loads that can be done to improve function through all of those interventions that you just mentioned uh, with regards to increasing range of motion strength cardiovascular fitness general health all of those things so um, I actually wouldn't in these patients separate out management versus rehab Um, the I think if you to take Anna's point from earlier you might be doing a management strategy which allows them to rehab in inverted commas, uh, but also their rehab will manage their symptoms in the longer term. So exercise, for example, um, there are very few situations where an exercise would improve their symptoms in the relatively short term. But with regards to the long term, then being active, let's go there with that, is far better than being inactive. So I wouldn't I would I would merge them together and you you know I would do I would try to set out a strategy that is both short medium and long term so that probably fits into what Anna was saying with okay short term we can do this which will help you do that in the medium term which will enable us in the long term to achieve these goals perfect perfect that's brilliant so so then what, what we like what we love to do uh, and and as as our producer hopefully you've listened to our podcast and you notice this um but uh, we we really like uh, to introduce a, a theory to practice uh, element uh, to the podcast so that um when people are back in clinic um they've got something that they can apply immediately so what would be i suppose your your takeaways or your theory to practice that you'd really like to from your position communicate out to sort of manual therapists uh, of all flavors i think the first one the first thing that i would suggest is that people understand what 
messages they're giving to the patient, to the rheumatology patient, when they do things. So I assume that everybody explains what they're doing and why they're doing it. And how is that going to be interpreted by the patient? Um, I, I, I doubt there's very many situations where they, the patient comes in, lies down, and you just start doing whatever you're doing. Um, it, it's common, right? <laughs> um, maybe if they've attended for the 50th time or something, that might be the case. But so, and, and one of the ways that you can do this is, um, and I forget who, who coined the idea, it might be Kieran O'Sullivan, but I forget, is to say to the patient, would you explain back to me what I've just told you? And I'm not going to lie, it will take you one or two attempts at that, and you will be amazed at what people parrot back at you that they've heard. And and as, as soon as that happens, and someone says something back to you that you go, that's not what I meant, then you know you've got to change that language because it will be ingrained in that person so quickly. And especially if they if you then do something that then helps, that's almost worse because they're then thinking this spurious reason for what you've done is actually beneficial. That's going to affect their whole outlook on the situation. So definitely that, if I, if I would suggest anything. The other thing I would suggest is to attend the course that you guys are running, which is what <laughs> I, <laughs> with me well, um, about, about rheumatology. And we can go into a lot, all of this in a lot more depth and ask questions and stuff. Um, and I'm very, I, might, I might occupy a niche, but I'm very good at shameless plugging. I can see another podcast coming up with him as well, isn't it? Series two, Jack March, series two. Well, see, I, what what I love about that is, um, so so for for you guys listening, what you can't see is the the range of nodding dogs that are just going on whilst whilst Jack was giving our theory to practice there, um, and and. I think um, probably some insight from that is you mentioned, Jack, that a huge amount of the work that you do at the moment is is online. And so as much as anything, the language you use has to be bang on because there is a, there is a, a limitation to the amount of um, sort of body language that can be interpreted and, and that adds to the, the total understanding from the client. But if the only thing you're providing them is language, then that language has to be bang on and, and, and checking that they're understanding it is really important. And we know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really pleased you pulled up on that point that, you know, we can say one thing, we might do something and, and the client may then interpret those two together in a third sort of scenario. And we've got to be really clear about that. So, so no, that was, that's superb. Thank you very much. Um, so I think probably then, uh, just conscious of time uh, today, we're, we're going to, uh, we're going to look at, at wrapping up. So I mean, shameless plug, uh, notwithstanding, what's next for for uh, for Jack March? Uh, well, on the horizon at the moment, it's therapy life, pelvic health, um, that is occupying all of my brain space currently. Uh, but I I'm trying, as we said at the beginning, I've been leaning into advanced practice more, and I want to try to move away from that to a degree. Uh, because I am omitting um, a huge population of therapists. So uh, I want to work with you guys on the on the um, course that we just mentioned. And um, apologies if you hear my cat. Strangling. Oh, that's a cat. I thought it was a child. Uh, we no. do, yes. <laughs> um, and, it, and I'm trying to run some introduction to rheumatology um, sort of sessions as well um, and all of these are on my website you can find those rheumatology.physio um, to try and get a bit more entry level stuff so that people uh, who aren't working in advanced practice roles or that kind of thing can can have access as well uh, but there's loads of free stuff on my website as well so if people want to get involved is it is aimed at physiotherapists because I am a physiotherapist and it's easy for me to do that um, but there's quite a few 
things on there which would be really useful for massage therapists and stuff as well to understand the conditions better if that's something they want to do absolutely i think i think speaking from a lot of the audience that we we interact with uh, fairly regularly i think they'll they'll find a lot of those resources actually very useful if only to refer back to whenever they're they're just refreshing them their memories when they know they've got a, a client coming in and and a suspected ra or a diagnosed ra for example so um no, so that's brilliant. So yes, yeah, so let's so let's uh, go on. Let's, let's let's go back to this course. So twenty eighth of April, um, uh, un- under our other hats of the school, uh, we have managed to nab Jack uh, for three hours of his time in our CPD snacks. Um, and the tickets are up uh, on Eventbrite at the moment. We'll make sure links to those are available wherever you're listening to this. Um, and Jack will be going into into more detail. He'll have a little bit more time with this, which will be fantastic. Uh, and again, it's aimed specifically at soft tissue therapists, massage therapists, manual therapists, um, and uh, and how to, well, I suppose a little bit more on how to recognize these conditions, particularly if you spend a whole day teaching uh, advanced practitioners how to do this. Nice. So that is absolutely fantastic. Um, thank you very, very much for joining us today. <laughs> No worries, an absolute pleasure. And I'll happily have another argument with Anna Maria at any point that she wants to have one. An argument, obviously, doesn't know what an <laughs> argument with me is. <laughs> No, that was that was ace. Really, really enjoyable. Hopefully, really, really uh, helpful. So that's rheumatology.physio if you want to go and find out a little bit more about Jack and uh, look at the resources he provides. 28th of April, if you want to come and listen to him natter on uh, with us at theschool.co.uk. And pelvic health live i would get shot by my producer who is actually looking at me right now um if i if i didn't mention pelvic health live and and jack is pre- uh, presenting on spon axial spondyloarthritis in women specifically yeah. see i'm so glad you said it <laughs> um yeah so uh, so that's absolutely absolutely superb uh, and that is on the 6th of march correct and it's free yeah so it's free yeah so- got, got a ticket why on earth not yeah, so tickets are available. They're available for free, um, like all of the Therapy Live events, free on the day, um, a whole bunch of stuff. We will be there as a massage collective discussing um, uh, manual therapies uh, around pre and post-pregnancy, uh, pre and pro-pregnancy? No, um, prenatal and postnatal. Um, uh, and I will be uh, discussing separately uh, manual therapies involved in uh, pelvic health directly, so outside of the scope of, of uh, pregnancy. So it's going to be really, really fantastic. Anyway, we will stop wittering on for now, and, uh, and we will bid you adieu. No worries. Pleasure. So that just about wraps things up again for us today. So thank you very, very much for joining us. I hope you found that helpful. I certainly did. Rheumatology is definitely not one of those areas I would ever proclaim to be any kind of expert in. So that was really helpful for me. As always, you can reach out to us with any questions, suggestions or feedback. We're at massage at physio-matters.com or you can find us as the Massage Collective on the usual social media channels. If you found this particularly helpful, it would be really great for us if you could perhaps leave a little review on your podcasting platform or share this amongst other therapists you know who are likely to find it useful who might not have come across a podcast yet. It really helps us uh, to get the message out there, particularly around bringing evidence-informed practice into the clinic for better outcomes with our clients. 
And so until our next episode, which is likely to be the live recording from our Therapy Live Pelvic Health review of massage and manual therapies pre and post pregnancy, look after yourselves and we'll see you very, very soon.